Aren't you thankful for the love of God? Amen? Praise the Lord for that. Let's take our Bibles together and turn to Daniel chapter number 1. Before I speak this morning, I just wanted to uh, say, I, I, sometimes I uh, don't think I say enough, but I really am uh, thankful to, for, to be your pastor. And, uh, you know, really, truthfully, what keeps me going is you all. And uh, when, I don't, uh, uh, when I don't feel like I um, am worthy, I remember that uh, God has given me the, the privilege and, and the privileged responsibility and opportunity to be your pastor. And um, I hope that uh, uh, as God works in my heart to prepare and, and uh, to be able to speak to you, that you are letting God uh, use me in your life just the same. And, uh, you know, pastoring is more than just preaching, though. Uh, it really is a, a privilege and a joy of mine to be able to be a part of people's lives. Uh, it's an honor, truthfully, that, that's, that, that you all would allow me to be a part of your life beyond the church service. Uh, you know, being together with you at your home, working together with you, uh, uh, visiting together with you, or you have a need and saying, Pastor, would you pray for me? Would you help me with this? Would you come over and help me do this? Or uh, allowing me to be able to be a part. That's, that's a privilege. I don't take lightly by any means. And every time I'm reminded of, of that privilege that God has given me as your pastor, it reminds me of uh, how great of a responsibility I have before God uh, in the matter of, of preaching just the same, uh, because I hope that, um, uh, as I believe it is, that it's your, your heart's desire when you come to the house of God to receive what God has for you, and uh, the things uh, that God lays on my heart is, is not just um, things I'm pulling out of a hat. Truthfully, ministry would be a lot easier if I did pull out of a hat, uh, but um, you know, it's a whole lot easier to speak to people that you know uh, when you're growing with them. You're going through the journey with them. Uh, you know the things that are there. And somebody says, how do you know when God lays something on your heart? Well, truthfully, um, it, 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 sometimes things work in ways, but truthfully, it seems that when Satan works in one family, he's working in four or five others at the same time. Or when one, one family's facing a challenge, a few others are facing challenges. It, and almost, uh, from a pastor's point of view, it's almost as though we're all truthfully going through the same type of journey together just from different aspects, and some of us don't even realize we are going through the same thing. And, uh, and many times, I find myself going through the very same thing that you are going through, it just the same. I can't truthfully feel, uh, nor do I believe that I can honestly preach a message if God isn't working in my heart about that very same thing, just the same. Uh, but I hope that... Um, and pray that uh, you let God work in your life through these things. We've been talking these past several weeks uh, about the subject of worship, and truthfully, this is uh, much of a, um, uh, maybe we could use the word somber, uh, a little more serious of a subject in that sense of the way, because uh, we've, we've underlined the fact that uh, worship is more than just a service. Worship is our everyday life. And at the end of the day, uh, when it comes to your worship, that's between you and God. Uh, I can see what you do in the church. That doesn't really make matter a hill of beans. Uh, but God sees what you do on an everyday basis. And whether your life is being lived in an honest, worshipful, full heart given to Him. In a love relationship with Him. And uh, that, that uh, church and the church attendance is just a, 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 not even a stepping stone. It's just 
uh, even a small part of your worship. Uh, but I, I pray, and my desire for you as your pastor, is that your worship relationship with God uh, will have and has increased through our, our time here in, in, look, in considering these things in our own lives. Um, every day, every day we live is a day that it is to be lived for God, but truthfully, that is lived before God. God sees it. God knows it. Uh, God knows exactly uh, if what we are doing is done for His glory. And uh, there is no greater purpose in life than to live for the glory of God. I hope that that is the reason why, the purpose why, and for everything that you do. Uh, I believe in the power of the gospel, and part of bringing God glory is giving the gospel. But yet, in the very same way, part of giving God glory is uh, just by placing Him as that first and foremost part of your heart. I want to talk to you about some of that. Today I want to talk to you about the subject of decisions of the heart. Decisions of the heart. We all make decisions in life, and uh, some are greater decisions than others. You know, uh, at a, As a child, you really don't start making but one of your first great decisions of that of maybe choosing a, a car when you become a teenager. And then uh, after that, it's what college am I going to go to? And then from there, it's who am I going to marry? And then from there, it's what occupation am I going to have? And then from there, it's where am I going to live? And uh, what kind of family am I going to have? And what kind of church am I going to attend? And uh, how faithful am I going to be to God in these areas? Uh, how, how regular am I going to be uh, in my workplace in these things? And, and uh, we start making these different uh, decisions. But our decisions... Are these decisions decisions that involve God? Are they decisions uh, that are of a heart that is in a proper relationship with God? Da the book of Daniel is a very interesting book because on the first nine chapters or so, we read about the life of Daniel, yet suddenly we're taken into many dreams and, and visions which God gives to Daniel. Uh, Daniel is such a sister book in many ways to the book of Revelation. Uh, we're not going to find ourselves that far into the second half of Daniel but rather to consider these beginning parts of his life. Uh, Daniel, as the character, is, is uh, in many ways relatable to that of a young person. Uh, it's believed that he was somewhere between his teen years to his, tw to his 20s uh, during chapter 1. And uh, right when he would have written this book, he would have been somewhere in his 90s. Uh, now, I'm no historian, but that's what history, or at least commentators, say concerning the life of Daniel. And, uh, but what's relatable about Daniel is... Uh, we see him living the Christian life and striving to be faithful. What's interesting about Daniel is nowhere in Scripture do you actually find any negative things said about him. Now, he was not a perfect individual, but we definitely find one thing that's predominantly known about him, and that is his faithfulness. Uh, he was faithful to God. In chapter 1, we find his faithfulness to God in his walk. In, in chapter 2, we find his faithfulness to God in his witness. In chapter 3, we find his faithfulness to God in his worship. And uh, we're going to look together in chapter 1. I don't know if we'll find ourselves in these next couple of chapters in the weeks ahead. Let's look together in verse number 1. The Bible says of chapter 1, verse 1, In the third year of, uh, of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem, and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of the house of his God. Verse 1 and verse 2 are really just giving us a review and a reminder of that which has taken place 
If you've read through 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, you would read through the life of these kings. Well, what has happened? Well, the kingdom uh, that God had risen up through Saul and then through David and then many other kings following them, had those kings and that leadership and the people had continually given themselves to sin. In a nutshell, what happened is the kingdom itself was divided in two. And as a result, both of those kingdoms were eventually destroyed. And more specifically, the kingdom of Judah and the, the tribe of Judah that we find here uh, is um, uh, now been taken control of by Babylon. And what we find of Daniel as a character is he is chosen amongst this um, remnant, as the Bible calls them. God did not destroy and wipe out all of the children of Israel. In fact, it's through this people group, Daniel being a part of, that God was then going to raise up uh, and, uh, and through that tribe that the Messiah himself would come. We find Joseph and Mary and all these others. And um, so uh, it's interesting that Daniel and the, the time in which this takes place is, is before Ezra and Nehemiah. We later see Ezra and Nehemiah are used by God to rebuild the city, rebuild the walls, rebuild the, the temple, Solomon later on. And, um, uh, but but uh, the, this time in Daniel's life was under the uh, besieging, under the captivity of Babylon. And uh, within this reign of Babylon, they chose amongst them the, the greatest of all the young men, uh, those who were vibrant and, and of wisdom and, and of knowledge and, and uh, good-looking. Only the best of the best could serve. And there was a purpose in why they were choosing the best of the best out of the children of Israel, because their intent was to indoctrinate them with their Babylonian teachings and to therefore, really as a result, push out any emphasis of God. So making them a part of, their, uh, 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 of who they were and teaching them who they are, the language and all those sort of things, but choosing the best of the best so that they would then become the leaders and as a result, uh, changing the whole. Well, so here Daniel is chosen amongst these individuals, kind of those prime people. That's why verse 3 tells us, And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. These are people with, of the children of Israel that are, are even in their family line is one of credibility and honorability and respect. So the thought process very likely here is, well, if we can uh, take the best of the best, the respected individuals, and we can indoctrinate them with what we believe, then their respect and all the, the leadership that they have will then be poured on everyone else. Look at verse number four. These are the children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding, science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Or some would say Chaldeans. You can argue about that later on. But here we find that there's a purpose to change uh, their life. Verse 5, And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat, and the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. 
Therefore, he requested the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Verse 8 is a very familiar passage, especially for those of us who have uh, uh, been in church and we've uh, lived the Christian life to any extent. But could we consider with a fresh mind here today this verse, verse 8. Daniel purposed in his heart. He made a decision of his heart, a decision that would impact the rest of his life. For that matter, it was a decision that impacted all the rest of Israel themselves. A, a decision uh, that when making and in making, God then used him in a great and powerful way. We've talked about in the subject of worship, uh, where David himself says in Psalm 86, verse 12, I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify thy name forevermore. There was an all heart, all of his heart worship. What is worship? Worship is giving God his rightful place. And here we find of Daniel, a man who chose to give God his rightful place in his decision making, in his choices that he was making. We all make choices in life. The question is, are your choices based upon what God desires for you? Some people would say, are they within God's will? But I think more specifically than speaking broadly of God's will, what was the decision which Daniel made in his own heart? I've categorized the message this morning into uh, four different things that define a decision of the heart. If you are truly making a decision of the heart, what is that going to look like? Well, I would say, first of all, number one, it is an individual decision. When you make a decision that is of the heart and with a desire to please God and to honor God, it is a decision that you make. The Bible says in verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart. This was not in the heart of his pastor. It was not in the heart of his parents. It was not in the heart of someone else that determined his choice. Now, it may have been their desire for their life that he would live to honor God with his choices. But this was a decision that he made. And could I say to you, in, in a decision that is honorable to before, before God, that, that is uh, of, uh, in our practice of worship and living for God, our walk for God, it should be an individual decision. An individual decision. Although sometimes that... Uh, we do things out of obligation or uh, we've been voluntold by something? Absolutely. But I wonder, have you made a decision of your heart to do that which is obedient to God? To do that which God places in your life to live for Him in, whatever it may be. Um, you know, understanding when we consider this individual decision. A decision itself is more than just a preference. We're not talking about something that you prefer doing for yourself. A preference is your personal desire in an area where no principle itself is involved. It's simply just what you want to do. Uh, you know, there are uh, some things in the church that, are, that, that we teach and we preach and we practice and we do that are as a result of the principles in Scripture. But then, then there are other things, even uh, truthfully, in the role of the leadership of the pastor or the deacons or even the pianist and, and song leader and that sort of thing. Those things are just purely preference, right? I may lead the songs and I, I choose to, to wave my hands like this, right? I may choose to lift my voice up loud like this. Or maybe I want to play the piano like this. Or maybe I want to s speak with more dynamic speaking or speak a little bit softer. 
or, or maybe I, uh, you know, I, I choose uh, in, in an order of service that I, I'm, I'm going to give the announcements here, I'm going to give the announcements there. Or, or uh, maybe I choose I'm going to pray uh, you know, uh, for uh, 10 minutes or pray for 5 minutes or pray for 1 minute or pray for 30 seconds. Uh, those, are, those are truthfully, those are decisions, but they're really, at the end of the day, they're really just preferences for an order of service. I'm giving the example in that of a church, okay? Now, we think in that of, a, of our individual lives, we, have, we make decisions, but sometimes they're truthfully just preferences, okay? Somebody says, well, I prefer not to be a person who's always wearing black all the time. I don't want somebody to think that I'm just looking like I'm a Satan worshiper or something. I just don't want to wear black. And the person says, well, I have a preference. I just really like to wear black. I look better in black. I look slimmer in black. You know, I just like to wear it. That's just a preference. We're not talking about anything that's based on any principle of scripture, nothing that's uh, Bible-based per se. It's just simply something that I'm doing and decide to do. But a decision of the heart is more than a preference. An individual decision that we're talking about here is more than just simply a preference. I say to you, secondly, a decision um, is a, a, of the heart is one that is based on biblical principles. We've mentioned what the principles already. What is a principle? A principle is a Bible truth that we must live by. A principle is a Bible truth that we must live by. You know, we are not given in Scripture specific words about specific areas of life of how to live by, but we are given principles of how we are to live. Give you an example. The Bible tells us in uh, Psalm 101 and verse 3, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. Somebody says, okay, don't set anything wicked before your eyes. We see in this passage that the principle is to keep that which is wicked from your eyes. So therefore we take, for example, something like pornography would then be wrong because it is wicked. Does the Bible say thou shalt not look at pornography? No. But it does say that we're not to set any wicked thing before our eyes. That's the principle, okay? This is a Bible truth that we must live by. We're not given the specifics, but we're given how we are to live by and what we are to live by, that being the Word of God. And we could take it broader in other areas of music and dress standards and all these different things. Those decisions uh, are decisions that we make every day, individual decisions, but are they decisions, I say to you, that are based upon biblical principles? And that's what leads me really to that third thought of a decision is based on personal convictions. What is a conviction? A conviction is a personal belief based on a principle. It's a personal belief based on a principle. Okay, so I believe that because the Word of God tells me not to set any wicked thing before my eyes, that biblically it is wrong for me to place my eyes before pornography. Okay, I'm using this as an example. Okay, now I have made a conviction of my own heart that this is the biblical reason for why. Okay, the problem that we have in our society today is we have people that make decisions that are purely out of preference without any biblical principles and without any convictions. We're talking about our walk, our life that's lived for God, our outlook of life, how we are living for Christ. It comes back to your individual decision. But I say to you, your individual decisions, are they based upon principles of the Word of God? Somebody says, well, how do I know all the principles? Read your Bible. Study it. The Bible says, study to show thyself prudent to God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the Word of truth. That's how you develop convictions. You discover it. You dig it up. You studied it. You found it. Oh, God's word tells me to do this. Well, that means it includes. But here's what society says. 
oh, well, the Bible doesn't actually say anything about you fill in the blank. But the Bible does give principles that we are to live by. And I wonder, do you as a Christian live by principles of the Word of God? Or for that matter, have you developed biblical convictions for why you make the decisions in your life? Here we find of Daniel, a man who chose uh, to, uh, have, to make his decisions that were more than uh, just a... Um, uh, it was more than just a, a preference, but it was based on principles. It was based on convictions. Let me say to you that we, we find of these things which define the decisions of the heart that it's individual. But secondly, it is to be a decision that maintains standards. It maintains standards. Now we've explained already what, what is a, a preference. A preference is a personal desire in an area we where we have no principle. Okay, A principle is a Bible truth that we must live by. Convictions is a personal belief based on the principle. Okay, So what then is a standard? A standard is a guideline to help you to maintain your convictions. A standard is a guideline to help you to maintain your convictions. The Bible says in, in Daniel 8 verse uh, Daniel 1 and verse 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Who is Daniel? He's one of the children of Israel. He has taken uh, a vow before God, and he's seeking to live according to and by the law. Jesus Christ has not yet died on the cross, so God had given them the law to live by. The primary things which con consumed in the law was the Ten Commandments, circumcision, and uh, uh, sacrifices. And these were those things which also included many others, like di different days of living, as well as a dietary law. There were things which they were not supposed to eat. So Daniel purposed in his heart an individual decision based on biblical principles, a conviction of his own heart that he was not going to eat. But I say to you also, how did he come to this point? Because he chose to have a standard. You know what we find of Daniel is a man who was living under a leadership, government, kingship, whatever you want to call it, that was not at all living for Christ, that was not at all emphasizing God, there was not prayer, there was not worship, none of this was of, to, uh, of any emphasis to God. And his stand for God to do what he knew was right was based upon biblical principles, convictions of his own heart, and standards. Standards. Standard is a guideline to help you maintain your convictions. Standard is a guideline to help you maintain your convictions. Uh, let me give you an example for a uh, standard. Um, you might walk to a place like McDonald's and you'll see a sign, something like, no shoes, no shirt, no service. Right? You ever seen something like that? And, uh, well, quite obviously, somebody with no shoes, no shirt, uh, most definitely could eat a hamburger, for that matter, purchase a hamburger, and eat it just the same as somebody with shoes and a shirt on. Right? But McDonald's says, no, this is our standard. Okay? This is what we are choosing to have as a standard in our store, in our restaurant, and order and so that we don't take this further than it should go. Okay? We have standards in a church. You have standards in a, in a workplace. They have standards in schools. Okay? Uh, somebody says, well, they're not what the standards that they should be. And that is the point we're talking about here. For many Christians, they live the Christian life without any standards. They may have personal convictions. 
They may even know what the biblical principles are, but they're living with no standards. You know the reason why many churches are falling away from the fundamentals of the faith, from living for God, from staying for that, on that which is biblical? Because they're dropping their standards. Yes, there may, all the convictions might be right. All the biblical principles might be right. But if there's no standard for music, there's no telling where the music's going to go. If there's no standard for dress, there's no telling where the dress is going to go. If there's no standard for, for, for uh, how we speak in the house of God, there's, there's no telling where it's going to go. If there's no standard for where we go and do things as a church, or for that matter, as Christian people, anything goes. If there's no standard for what I should eat or what I should drink, anything goes. We're living in a society where the standards are being dropped. How many of you would agree with me on that? I absolutely believe that with all my heart. You see it all around us. How can you not? And here you see Daniel, a man who chose to have standards. Could I say to you, Christian, put some standards in your life if you have it. Some guidelines in your life. The reason for that is, is because the reason I'm choosing to have a standard, I already know what the Word of God says, I already know what I believe in my own heart, but I know that my flesh is sinful. And I know that Satan's temptation will devour me. And so I'm going to choose to have this standard, this policy in my life, that as a result of having this standard, it won't ever go further than it should. And the problem with Christians, they always like to criticize. Well, she's just better than everyone else because she dresses so proper and so modest and every time you see her she's always wearing a dress and or he's just always dressing up this way and we like to cookie cut and define people by you know as though they're they're living a better or they they have some greater connection no what it is is you found somebody who has a standard okay they have personal convictions they know the biblical principles and they said this is my standard I'm going to dress this way. I'm not going to listen to this music. I'm not going to listen to any, I'm not going to go any place like this kind because I know that if I don't have a standard, there's no telling where this is going to go. That's why you see, uh, unfortunately, but today pastors uh, and preachers, uh, you know, getting drunk, churches having dances and dance clubs and, and uh, you know, a place that is to be a place that centers on worship where people gathered together to worship God are now under an even greater and stronger temptation to do things of the flesh. Look, everyone has different preferences, okay? We're not talking about preferences here because there, there are things that I prefer in the leadership of a service that others do not. It's not based on any biblical principle. It's just what I choose to do in my leadership, okay? I'm a different person than everyone else, okay? Preference. Now we come back to the individual. Do you, are you living the Christian life simply on preferences? For that matter, do you know the biblical principles? Are you seeking to study them out? Are you developing biblical convictions as a result of those principles? And are you choosing to have a standard that I'm going to live by this? I'm choosing to dress this way, to talk this way, to go to these places, to listen to this kind of music, because I know that if without a standard, anything goes. Do you live by standards? Here's Daniel, a man who chose to live by standards. He says, I know what God has commanded me to do. I'm supposed to live by this dietary law. I'm not even going to have anything to do with it. And so we find a decision of the heart is one that is of an individual decision. It's your decision. Nobody's making it for you. It's a decision that's maintaining standards. You're not dropping them. You're placing them there to help guide you into that which is right. But we find also of Daniel's decision and this hard decision which he made, it was an influential decision. 
It's quite interesting when you read verse 8. But Daniel, here's these other men are mentioned. Daniel, individually, purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat. Can I just back up here a second? Maybe you've done this study before. But have you ever under, under, reminded yourself of all the Hebrew names that are given here? The Hebrew names in Scripture always had a purposeful meaning that defined uh, uh, some, sometimes the working of God in that individual's life or how God was going to work um, and uh, distinctly given that spoke concerning God himself. And this was what Babylon was seeking to push out of all these good-looking, knowledgeable, wisdom-filled individuals, Daniel included. And so it's interesting that when they rename them, it's not just simply for a sake of, oh, we're just going to give you a new name that we understand. No, they're giving them Babylonian names. They're changing the meaning of their name. It's interesting that Daniel's name means God is my judge. Hananiah's name means Jehovah is gracious. Michelle's name means who is he that is God. And Azariah's name means the Lord is help. And yet here Babylon's seeking to push all this out. We want you to be known by a different name. We want you to live a different way. We want you to speak a different language. We want you to live how we're living. And you progress to chapter 3. They're bowing down and worshiping idols. Boy, don't we see that in our world today. A push and a push and a push and an agenda. And all that has to happen for the believer is just to drop my standards. And suddenly all those biblical convictions become less and less important. I'm not even living by this because I'm already doing this. You see, they work hand in hand. The question is, Christian, do you have standards? Do you have reasons? Do you have principles, biblical principles and convictions for why I'm living the way that I'm living? For why I do the things that I'm doing? But the Bible continues. We see that the Bible says Daniel made the decision of his heart. He didn't make the decision for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay? This was not the decision which he made for them. But when we come to verse 10, here's Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs. The Bible says in verse 10, And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your... What's that next word? Faces. Now is that singular or plural? Plural. I believe that we find here a, a, an influential decision of Daniel. That in his choice to stand for that which is right through biblical con uh, principles and convictions in his own heart and having a standard that others said, you know what, if you're going to live that way, I'm going to choose to live that way too. Well, it's amazing that what would happen if God's people, even of, of one individual, would say, I'm going to choose to live this way. How many other people would say, I'm going to choose to do that too. Somebody says, oh, well, they're just following because of what they're doing. Some may be. But I know in my own life, as well as seeing others, that some people can be drawn to Christ in a life that's lived for Christ simply by the life that you choose to live. Yeah. They say, I want that for me. So he says, wow, look at the way he or she dresses. That's, that's so respectful of their body. That's so honoring to God. I need that in my life. Wow, you have that standard and you believe those principles according to Scripture on music? Man, I need to have that in my life too. Man, you choose to go to that kind of a church with those types of standards? Well, that's really good. That's a really healthy thing. Let me tell you, no matter how you look at it, Christ is always attractive. When you choose to live for God, 
you choose to obey God, others will see it, they'll want it. I've used this example before. That's the very reason, reason why you see bus kids continually coming back to church over and over. Yes, sometimes there's an incentive involved, okay? But they also know that there's people there that love them. They know that this is a place where they're comfortable. And sometimes you'll get those boys or girls that say, man, I wish church wasn't over. I wish church was all the time. I've had kids tell me that about putting brains in tears. But you're reminded of this fact, how influential the decisions that you and I as individuals can be on other people. Um, it, it's amazing when you do a church project, you know, uh, it doesn't matter what it is, you know, if you get a group of people together, nobody likes to be the first person to leave, right? And uh, usually when the first person does leave, suddenly everyone else decides it's time to go too. Oh, I should probably get out of here too, you know. They're not wanting to make that first move. It's an influential decision. And, and what I, my point is, is every decision we make can be influential to the others around us. Because others are watching us. And we all have different people who look at us and respect us to different levels. Are you making decisions that influence others for the sake of Christ? Because you realize what the opposite of this is. And you call yourself a Christian and you listen to that kind of music? And you go to that kind of church? And, and you, you wear those kinds of clothes? You know, even the churches that drop standards, by the way, they still have a standard. They may say, oh, well, we don't dress all this way, we don't do our music this way, but they would never let uh, somebody come up there in a swimsuit and lead their worship group. They do have a standard. We all have standards, but how, how much are they biblically based upon the principles of the Word of God? Amen? Amen? Convictions. Could it be that there are more Christians in Community Bible Church that are living less and less on personal Convictions based on biblical principles. Are the reasons why that you worship God? Because, well, pastor sure expects me to be there. Or my parents are going to be there. Or, well, it's Sunday. I'm supposed to be here, but it's not based on anything scriptural. Are the reasons why you do your things in everyday life, your devotions, your prayer, your walk with God, are they done simply for the sake of routine and tradition. This is how I've always done it in my life. I enjoy doing it this way. Or is it done because of your relationship with God that's based on those biblical principles and standards that's been developed as a result? Influential. And by the way, parents, consider how influential your decisions you make now are going to be to your own children. I'm not saying that I'm raising perfect children by all the decisions I'm making. Please don't think that. But I will say that the decisions that you choose to make now will influence the decisions that your children will make later. Amen? Amen. If your marriage isn't what it should be, your children will see that. If your marriage isn't a marriage, your children will see that. If you're, if, if you're, uh, if you're an alcoholic, your children will see that. If you're a smoker, your children will see that. The likeliness of them going around and doing the very same thing you're doing later on in their life, very, very high. Because you're the greatest influence in their life. I remember having a parent coming to me as a youth pastor, and they said, man, uh, pastor, you've got to help us. My child is taking bottles of beer out of our garage refrigerator, and he's selling them to other teenagers in the community. 
we got to get him to stop. He's working with beer out of our fridge. I'm thinking, take the beer out of your fridge. Problem solved. But this is the problem that society has. We want to live according to our standards without any biblical principles. And as a result, we're influencing the others around us. And then we're saying, oh, why is the younger generation going to pot? I wonder why. Here's Daniel standing amongst... Somebody says, well, look at the condition of our world. Well, look at the condition of the children of Israel this time. They're under captivity of Babylon as a result of their sin. You think we've got it bad. We live in a blessed country of America with freedoms. Amen? Amen. And yet here's Daniel in the midst of all this that's happening all around him. He chooses to make the decision of his heart, purposing in his heart, I'm going to live by biblical principles according to God's word, who's going to have standards in my life, and as a result, it influenced others. And what do we see at the end uh, as we continue, really? Well, notice with me also, uh, number four, uh, that um, this was a, uh, a, a humble decision. A humble decision. And I don't need to beat this too much with a stick, but look at verse number eight. I think it's interesting to note this fact. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he gathered a bunch of people together and he wrote up a bunch of signs and they all protested in front of the king. Is that what they did? No. There was no protest. There was no big scene made. He did not say, hey, king, we've got a problem. I can't live this way. I've got standards. I've got convictions. Don't you know this is wrong? The Bible says you're not supposed to do this. He didn't say that. He requested. There was a humble approach to this. And Christian, you can stand for that which is right and ruin the testimony of God. You can hurt the name of Christ. And all of our worship, <laughs> is it done humbly? Is it done humbly? Does it, does it respectfully speak for the name of God? Look at verse number uh, 9. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of, uh, which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. In other words, the answer was, no. I can't do that. I'm going to get killed if I do that. I can't let you just choose to live how you want to live. I, I'm, going to, I'm, going to be, I'm going to lose my head. Daniel says, without any frustration, the Bible says in verse 12, prove thy servants, I beseech thee. I'm asking you, I'm begging you, just give me 10 days. Let them give us pulse. Let them give us vegetables. Let us stay away from that which everyone else is doing so that we can identify with the God which we believe in according to the principles that are biblically truth and the standards which we have in our life. Let us prove to you that God can honor a life that has lived for Him. And that would lead me to that next and final thought is that this was an honored decision. It was an honored decision. The Bible tells us in um, 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse number 30. Look, look there if you would. Um, make sure I've got the right uh, verse here. Actually, um, yes. Uh, but the Bible says, But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living. For their sakes that shall 
make known an interpretation to the king, that thou mightest know uh, the thoughts of thy heart. The Bible tells us elsewhere in, in, in 1 Samuel, um, uh, I'm still looking for that verse. There's another verse that I'm looking for here. That's okay. The Bible tells us that uh, God blesses his decision. Look at verse 17, Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, look at the honor that God brings into his life. For as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. God blesses his education. You remember what's happening here, okay? These guys, more or less, they're going to the University of Babylon, okay? <laughs> Not by choice, but by choice of Babylon. You're going to get educated. You're going to learn the language. You're going to do what we do. Daniel says, no, I'm, I'm choosing to live by that which I know is right. And as a result, God blesses. Here's the end of the result. God blesses. Here's, he blesses education. Uh, verse number 18. Now at the end of the days that the king had said that he would bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Th these are individuals that, as you would read in this passage, they didn't just stand out in their countenance, verse 13, by the way they looked. They stood out in their education, who that God had blessed them to be, their knowledge, their wisdom, all that they had, their sharpness. These were some sharp guys. The Bible continues in verse number 19, or verse 20 rather. Um, actually, no, verse, verse 19. The king communed with them, and among them all was, was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Look at the last phrase there. Therefore stood they before the king. God blesses their occupation. Now they're given a high position from where they once were. They're given a greater place of recognition than everyone else. They are able to stand, that phrase is speaking of, they're able to stand together with the king. One of his advisors, one of his come-to guys, one of the, the ones who represent the king and hopefully represent him well. The Bible says in verse 21, And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. What we find of Daniel is that he lived through the remainder of, Bab of the Babylon Empire into the empire of Persia. Persia eventually uh, destroys Babylon, and uh, eventually we see Persia itself, um, God destroying them and the people being brought back uh, to God through Nehemiah and Ezra and these others who, who lead the way. Remember, it's, it's the the king of Persia, uh, that we eventually would find Nehemiah himself as that cupbearer. Okay? Here's Daniel in the midst of all this. As a result of his choices, his decisions, God honors it. He allows continuation. In other words, he blessed his life. He gave him longer days of living. Somebody says, well, well <laughs> Pastor, are you saying I'm going to live longer if I live for God? I believe God does bless a life that's lived for God. He does bless the longevity of someone's life when they choose to honor him with their life. It's no small thing when you talk to uh, people who are, we would say, older in years, up in years, and they'll tell you about the many things of their belief, the many things which they did for God. Many ways they serve God. God blesses the life, physical, but also uh, um, in every aspect, your whole family, your possessions, every area of your life is blessed as a result of decisions 
that are of obedience to God and faithfulness to God. Don't excuse yourself, the country we live in, the temptation, the society we live in. It's too hard to live for God. Compare your life to Daniel. Don't let yourself live the Christian life without any standards, for that matter, without any desire to dig out the principles of, this, of Scripture. Remember, a person can have standards without any biblical principles. A person can have biblical principles without any biblical standards. Okay? They work hand in hand. And yet some are just simply living life out of preference. It's just how I want to live. It's just what I want to do. Just live how I want to live, do what I want to do, enjoy life to its fullest. When God looks at your life to see a life of worship, David says, I'll worship, I'll praise God, I'll worship the Lord with all my heart. With all my heart. Decisions you make define the condition of your heart. The Bible says out of the, ish, out of the heart are the issues of life. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Your life speaks for the condition of your heart. Can I put it bluntly? If you work five days or six days in a week, 40 hours plus, you come to one church service in the day without any Bible reading, nothing else, and you believe that's a worshipful life, worshipful life to God, sorry, but it's not. If you simply go to church and then you go out and you're partying and you're just living life to its fullest and just doing whatever you want to as you please without any biblical standards or principles in your life, that's not true worship before God. If your reason for coming to church is based upon how things are done and not about who the emphasis is made upon, you're coming to church for the wrong reason. See where we're getting in all this? God gives us these principles to live by. And the argument, the devil's advocate says, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about that. The Bible gives us all principles all through Scripture to live by. And if we would choose to live by those principles, develop convictions, and place standards in our life to maintain, to be a guideline to live by, Oh, what a different life of worship we would have. As every head bowed and every eye closed. I wonder if God has worked in your heart.